Ignite community, thank you for making Ignite 22 more amazing than we ever hoped for. We hope that these recorded sessions bless you and yours. Let's get started with our keynote speaker, Kevin Jessup. But Kevin Jessup and I go way back and when I was a little kid and at First Assembly in Des Moines, and uh, we, I don't know, it's, just, it, it was, it, it's so cool because it was just like a year ago, maybe it was two years ago, all of a sudden we're at an event and there's Kevin Jessup and we're kind of up in the, up in the bleachers and looking, is that Kevin Jessup, the same guy I went to church with forever ago? So I love this guy, I love what he's doing and I love his passion for Jesus. So can you guys help me give it up for Kevin Jessup? Wow, give it up for Craig and Desiree, huh? You guys caught, caught the vision here, I'll tell you. I, I just had uh, something quickly, um, and, and Jerry Pereira and the Isaacs, you know, I like the Isaacs because they're just a lot of fun to hang out with, you know? <laughs> you guys are awesome. <laughs> um, pardon? Yeah. And John Robinson, who uh, Jerry Pereira was talking about, is my great-grandfather from 400 years ago, 10 generations ago. So he wrote the farewell letter to the pilgrims based on Colossians 3.12 that says, learn how to forbear one another in love or you won't make it in the new land. This is back in the 1600s when Queen Mary, better known as Bloody Mary, was beheading Christians at the stake in, in London. And so they... They actually wrote a divorcement letter to Queen Mary and said, we're leaving because you won't let us preach the gospel with the interpretation of the Holy Spirit as, as he inspires us to preach the word. And they were persecuted for this to the point of death. And so when they went to Leiden, Holland, and they lived there for 12 years, they, they got this boat called the Speedwell that was headed over on the Mayflower with the Mayflower, three days at sea it proved unseaworthy, so they had to turn back, and 65 people stayed with John Robinson, my great-grandfather from 10 generations ago, who died then in 1625. But 35 of those parishioners from the Congregational Church, which by the way was made up of John Robinson, William Brewster, and William Bradford. Brewster was a financier, he was a businessman, but he was part of the Scrooby Church the Puritan separatist, the holiness people. And Bradford was a government person. So here you had ministry, business, and government working together synergistically. And we need to get back to that here in America too because we, it, it, we, we need the church and we need civil government and we need business. And I often tell my pastor, when you go out with a business person, buy his, buy his lunch. <laughs> Because the business in, in the church that my grandfather pioneered in Des Moines, Iowa, that we grew up in, Craig, and I remember Craig when he was, you know, now he's a tough Marine. I'm proud of you for your service, too. Thank you. <laughs> Praise God. My grandfather pioneered the church, and my other grandfather financed it. And they were best friends. And sometimes we need to think about getting back to that. So I just had a word because Craig, you know, I was thinking of you. And so many times we think of our bloodlines 
And I believe we're coming into a period of time where we're going to all become Pauls at the shipwreck at Malta. We're watching America break up. And think of it, Paul was in the bowels of that ship when it was breaking up. And in one minute, in one minute, he went from being captive to being the captain. And everybody on that ship was asking Paul, what do we do now? Where are we headed now? And he actually told them, send your strong swimmers first. And when they get hip deep in water, turn around and look for those that are floundering. And you won't lose one. And of the 276 souls on board that day at the shipwreck of Malta, not one person was lost. And so as we go into this tough time, as we see these storm clouds amassing on the horizon of America, many of us have been captive with lost dreams for a long time, but now is the time to wake up. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he will give you direction, and we are headed into the largest seek and rescue mission of our time. And you are the strong swimmers. You are the ones that God is saying, it's time to arise, align, and activate your faith. And so we've seen what the church has done. Now, we did Transformation West Palm Beach in Palm Beach, Florida, where we had, and the Lord showed us how to take a four-legged stool. If you have the school board and you have the law enforcement and you have the local government and you have the faith-based, you can take a city. You can take a whole city. You can do it. Every city has its assets. And we're going to talk more about this tomorrow. But I want to just give a brief word that, that I feel like the Lord gave me for this conference. Because you, if we are, in fact, what I believe to be the last generation, we have some unfinished things from our bloodlines that our ancestors have been praying for since we were children and we get to finish it and it may not look like what you think so here's many of you know global strategic alliance we have three initiatives the return a global move of prayer and repentance the nehemiah project and i was blessed to work with ben carson in the white house on the nehemiah project we drafted it together um and then unfortunately we had the mix-up <laughs> But the Nehemiah Project is not over. And the third initiative we have is the Joseph Mandate. How do we meet the felt needs of nations? And we're going to talk some, about some of these principles tomorrow. But I was reading last week, praying about this conference, and I ran into something that I never saw in Scripture before, and I want to share very briefly tonight. Bear with me for a couple of minutes. I know Desiree is going to, to come. So they were very gracious to give me the time tonight. Thank you. This, I went back into Genesis to read the story of Joseph. And going into verse 40, uh, chapter 41, starting with verse 37, this is after Joseph was sold out by his brothers. Joseph had six dreams. He had the sheaves, the harvest with his brothers. He had the the two dreams in prison with the cup maker and the bread maker, which were both prophetic of Jesus because Jesus hung on a tree 
and then he went back to the palace to give the new wine covenant. Hallelujah. But he also had two dreams about the cow and the corn with Pharaoh. But this is after Potiphar's wife and the cupbearer and the baker and the dreams and and the brothers going to Egypt and coming back for a second trip and the silver cup in the bag and you know the story. But let me just unpack something that I saw that I never saw before which really spoke to my heart. We start in verse 37 of chapter 41. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? That's ironic because his brother saw the Spirit of God and they hated him. Here we have a secular Pharaoh seeing the Spirit of God all over him and he says, can we not find another one like him? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you, you shall be in charge of my palace. He's in charge of the house. But it's the wrong house. Follow me. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. I was in charge of the whole land. But it's the wrong land. Now he's in the wrong house on the wrong land. And let me tell you, this story is all about the land, the seed, and the covenant. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain on his neck. So now he's got a robe, but not the robe that his father gave him. So now he's in the wrong house, in the wrong land with the wrong robe. And he had him ride in a chariot as a second in command and then shouted before him, make way, thus put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphnath paneah Now he's got the wrong name. Joseph is a Hebrew. He's not an Egyptian. Zaphnath paneah means the one who finds the hidden thing, which was Joseph. So he's in the wrong house, in the wrong land, with the wrong robe, now with the wrong name. And then Pharaoh gives him Ashnath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, to be his wife. And now he's got the wrong wife. He's in the wrong house, in the wrong land, with the wrong robe, with the wrong name, with the wrong wife. Think about it. Joseph was 30 years old. When he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence, traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentiful. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, stored it in all the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the field surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. That's a whole other parable. Abraham. But it was so much so that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Ashnath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Now here is where 
the land and the seed and the covenant become known to Joseph in his true way. Because Joseph draws a line in the sand here and he tells Pharaoh, you can give me a robe, you can give me a house, you can give me the land, you can give me all this favor, you can give me a name, you can give me a wife, but let me tell you something, my two sons will have Hebrew names. You don't get the right to call my sons by an Egyptian name. I draw the line there. The other thing, Joseph was not impressed with his title. He was not impressed with what he had been given, the authority. You know, we teach our kids, if you become the suffering servant like Joseph was, you'll be given a high title someday. Didn't matter to Joseph. It meant nothing to him. He names his first son Manasseh. It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. That means that he let all that stuff go. That means that Joseph had a moment in his life where he forgave. And I'm talking about this because before we can go change the world, God has to do a work in us. He does a work by the power of his Holy Spirit in us and that he works through us once we've been changed and molded by his hand. And here he's saying, I forgave my brothers. I put it behind me, it's gone. I forgave Potiphar's wife for falsely accusing me. I forgave Pharaoh for throwing me in prison. I forgave it. I don't want to carry that anymore. I, I, I got rid of it. I cleansed myself from it. Forgiveness was huge in Joseph's life. So much so that his first son's name, Manasseh, means it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. I'm telling you the forgiveness that Joseph had to come to terms with was incredible. Then he had a second son named Ephraim, another Hebrew name. And that name means it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Here he is in this land in prison, serving in this secular Pharaoh's house, and he's a Hebrew who's stuck to the covenant, stuck to the land of Canaan, and he's stuck in Egypt, and he knows the seed. And the story goes on, the seven years of abundance in Egypt, and you know it, all of the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was so severe in all the world. Unmerited favor. Now we skip over to verse 40, or chapter 45. And Joseph has a younger brother named Benjamin and his brothers are coming to him now. And we're at the point of the story where he's about to reveal himself to his brothers. And he says to them before they know who he is, do you have a younger brother? And they say, yes. I said, what is his name? And they said, Benjamin. You see, Rachel had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. From uh, Jacob had those two sons from Rachel, the woman that he really loved. The other 10 sons came from Leah. And they said, yeah, there's Benjamin at home. And he said, bring him here. And they said, well, if he leaves father, father won't, won't do so well. And that's when Joseph broke. 
And then there was Judah. Judah said, take me, not Benjamin. That was a Christ-like archetype there. He said, take me, not Judah. All right, take me, not, not Benjamin, Judah said. This is where Joseph breaks down. Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly, and the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? I'm Joseph, the one that you sold out. And his brothers, the scripture says, his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified. I'm sure if they had depends back in those days, if they were wearing them, they were, they were a mess. They're thinking, boy, now we're, we're toast. We're toast. But you see, Joseph had already forgiven him. And he says, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because here's the kicker. Don't be distressed. I forgave all that stuff, guys. I'm over it. You're okay. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. I always wondered if that was a pattern. Is Jesus going to reveal himself to the Jews in two years into the tribulation? Just a thought. But there's five years that will be no plowing and no reaping. And verse 7 is the one that got me. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And let me bring this to a close here real quick. You see, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. John 3.12 says that Cain was the seed of the serpent and Abel was the promised seed. But he was murdered. So Adam and Eve had one more son named Seth who became the promised seed. Seth became the promised seed for Noah. Noah had three sons, and his son Shem became the promised seed that led to Abram, who was the promised seed, that led to Isaac, who was the promised seed, that then led to Jacob, who was the promised seed, not Esau, but Jacob was the promised seed. And then Jacob had 12 sons, Benjamin and Joseph, and 10 others. But Jacob led to the promised seed of Judah. And Judah led to the promised seed of David. And David led to the, the promised seed of Jesus. 
So here's what I wrote when I read this. And I still have my notes with my tears on it when I read this. Joseph went to Egypt so that Judah, the promised seed, wouldn't starve in a famine so that David, the promised seed, could be born so that Jesus, the promised seed, could save his people. So God uses a famine and prison and slavery in his sovereign providence. He uses the life of Joseph to leave a remnant for great deliverance. And this whole time we've been teaching our kids, if you become the suffering servant, and Joseph's life was a perfect archetype of the Christ life, which we'll talk about tomorrow. But the point is, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ and we lay ourselves on the altar of sanctification, in his sovereign providence, our lives are not our own, they're for him to use however he chooses to use it. And all the suffering that Joseph went through, all the betrayals, all the hate, all the sellouts, all the false accusations, Praise God, he forgave it. As there was a bigger purpose in his life to be used. And we're gonna talk about that tomorrow for each and every one that's at this conference. The process of how God brings us to the culmination of fulfilling the bloodline that was meant for us from the very beginning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Don't miss tomorrow.